Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob. Um, I'm Dr. Bob, and... Yeah, and I'm Melissa. Hey, you guys. super excited to be here with you. Um, And anyway, we've been talking about some really interesting topics so far. This has been really fun for us, just so you know. We've really appreciated all of the comments and reviews and ratings we've been getting. And make sure to check it out on iTunes and, and do that. And check out our website, too, where we have more content listed. Um, I'd say t- today's topic is probably one of the most uh, popular when it comes to yes. the informed consent side of this. This is probably the most popular topic that you hear about. And when it comes to legislators and that side of it, it's the most popular soundbite, one of the most popular soundbites you're hearing to, um, to promote mandatory vaccination policies. What topic is that, Bob? <laughs> herd immunity. You heard it correctly. Yes, herd uh, immunity. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, was, uh, you know, I was thinking the other day, um, you know how we like to hide the topic for the first yes. few minutes while we banter back and forth? We should do that like a whole half hour one time. So the problem is they, they're reading the title of the episode. Like, okay, on one time their, we're going to put question phone. marks. It's just okay, like, yeah. So they know, the okay. t- they know the topic already. So we're not like... We'll find a way. We're going to fool somebody. We're going to find a way. Okay. No herd immunity, like herd immunity, because we hear about this all the time. The mandatory vaccination policy makers are saying we need herd immunity to be at 95% in order for us to maintain sufficient coverage for public health uh, to stay, you know, safe and healthy and to protect all of the immunocompromised. So herd immunity, that is the main thing that people push when it comes to mandatory vaccine policy. And then on the other side of that, you have people saying herd immunity. Well, wouldn't that only be true if we're talking about natural immunity, not artificial immunity that may have waning factors? And in fact, let's look at all of our adults. Are we really fully vaccinated now? Are we actually anywhere close to 95%? Um, this is really a polarizing topic within a polarizing topic, but there's a lot of science and research that really shows this concept of herd, herd immunity may be really based in theory and that not in practice the way that it's touted as fact. And we're not going to say either way, obviously, the, but we'll just let's, – let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. So um – like Melissa said, uh, again, it is so important to the pro-vaccine mandate crowd that we maintain herd immunity, and um, and then the other side of people who are who are against mandates, and even people who are who are completely against vaccines, they will try to claim that there is no such thing as herd immunity at all. Like it, it doesn't exist. It's right. a, totally a myth. That there's you know herd immunity, we might as well not even talk about it because it completely doesn't exist. And and I like to look at it a very different way because I think I think herd immunity does exist on a certain level. It just depends on really how you're looking at it. And so for me, it's it's actually not really about is there herd immunity or is there mm. not herd immunity. It's there is um artificial vaccine induced herd immunity. That's one approach. And then there's also uh, natural herd immunity that uh, a population might get from natural exposure to the diseases. And, and that's, uh, that's basically a population that would say not be using that vaccine. 
and that that's that's uh, one particular model of herd immunity, and 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 then there's the vaccine model of herd immunity. There's basically two models: natural versus artificial. But the vaccine, vaccine versus not vaccine. And the vaccine model is modeled after the natural model, right? They're they're looking at saying in these populations of people that have sufficient coverage up to about this amount, then it keeps the disease from from creating these outbreaks in communities, right? Like this is based on right. prior times before vaccines, where they're looking at the kind of coverage and how it protected right. people. Right. But, but let, let me, let me say first off, I guess, before I forget is, uh, the, the statistic that you said at the beginning, we need 95% vaccine compliance to maintain artificial vaccine herd immunity. I just want to be right up front at the beginning, just to remind everyone, if you didn't hear the earlier episode on this, is that that 95% is a completely bogus number. It is absolutely scientifically not true at all. Um, that 95% claim where they say we need all these vaccines to be 95% to keep everyone protected, that actually, that study was done in the, in the 80s. It was done many, many, about 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. And it actually wasn't a study at all. It was a mathematical process where a mathematician studied, uh, basically did all these equations and studied uh, disease data and basically hypothesized that we we probably need 95% herd or vaccine uh, compliance for measles vaccine and for rubella vaccine in order to maintain herd immunity, in order to prevent outbreaks. And if we fall below 95%, we will have outbreaks. No one's ever actually studied that in a real population of people. They don't know that from, from studying, say, a 96% vaccinated population compared to a 94% vaccinated population. The only, and that's the only way you could make that claim of 95% compliance for herd immunity is if you actually studied it in population. No one ever has. It was a math, it was basically a math project. And every, every, you know, person that promotes herd immunity from vaccines quotes that original study from over 30 years ago. In their mind, they, they probably think it was a real population study with live mm -hmm. people. They have no idea it was just a mathematical process. But if you're a researcher, you can go back and look at it. And, and that's where that came from. So I just want to get that out of your mind. If you really want to look at this scientifically, get out of your mind the, the idea that we need 95% compliance to maintain herd immunity because we don't and we don't even know what it is for, a, for each individual mm -hmm. vaccine because they never studied it. Okay, I just wanted to put well, that out there. And also we know that in higher than 95% vaccinated communities, there are still outbreaks of certain Correct, uh, depending certain on the vaccine. Right, right depending on the, the vaccine. Right. And we're going to do an episode on um, some of the most common vaccine failure circumstances yes. where you've got 100% coverage in some cases, 95, 96, 98, 100% coverage, and there are still outbreaks. And yet you look back at like 1985 – Okay, this is some information, 1985, where our coverage for kids for MMR, for example, is about 61%. Okay. So 60%, and yet no epidemics happening. Uh, and this was before they're implementing this, you know, these numbers saying we need to stay at 95. The whole idea of 95, like you're saying, is to keep away from these outbreaks, to keep away from epidemics or pandemics, what, what, they, what they estimate. But the truth is, uh, even if it were 95, we're not at 95 as a, as a population um, because, as we know with adults, 
your immunity that you've gotten as a child through vaccines, the artificially induced herd immunity or artificially induced immunity from your vaccines that created a type of what they consider herd immunity in your ch- your children's group, you know, essentially, as you grow up and your vaccine immunity starts to wane over time, as all do. I mean, everything I've read shows that every single vaccine has waning immunity. Every single one. I have not heard, I have not read a single thing that said that there is any particular vaccine that gives you lifetime immunity. Correct. And so as, so that means it's just a matter of time before your immunity wanes. And yet so many of the parents now promoting mandates have not ever had a second vaccine for some of the things they had as children that they feel they're completely immune to because of that one magic dose that they had, you know, or two doses they had four and five years old. Um, But now then their 30s and 40s are no longer immune. And so if you have to look at, you know, half of our, more than half of our population as adults, not having that kind of vaccine-induced immunity coverage, how could we as a population be at 95%? It's true, children vaccination rates are near 95% um, as a whole, right? But how does that relate to the, the population in a larger right. scale? Yeah, if we, if we look at our entire herd of what over 350 million Americans um, – the, the number of Americans that are actually immune to measles is, is probably way less than 50%. Right. Because that childhood vaccine wears off. And, and, and where that comes into sort of practical terms is the Disneyland outbreak we had in, in, in California in 2015. Um, over half of the cases occurred in adults. Um, because we don't have herd immunity to measles in the United States. Yeah, we might have we might have a lot of immunity among children, right. but we don't have it as a herd in general, and we never can because, mm-hmm. like you said, yes. we the measles vaccine will not last for your lifetime. And so since we don't have herd immunity for measles, that's why uh, over half the cases occurred in adults. Well, I mean, the only time we did have it technically would have been when people were actually getting it, when the entire correct, population correct. would have had right, it and right. had lifetime immunity. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of... Maybe if I could take a, a few minutes uh, you know, to maybe kind of give the overview from my standpoint of, of this uh, uh, natural herd immunity from disease compared to vaccine herd immunity. And sure. uh, let me see if I can just kind of walk through this. So basically uh, in the old days when, uh, when everyone used to catch – let's use uh, chicken pox as an example um, – when everyone used to catch chicken pox. Now, let me use measles as, as an example because it's, uh, it's been more eliminated. So basically, every child caught measles when they were like, you know, one, two, or five, or ten. Every, every, children, every single child in America caught measles, and they developed a lifetime immunity. So they would never catch it again. They grew up to be adults that were completely immune to measles. And what was important is the women grew up right. to become uh, pregnant women who were immune to measles. And then they were uh, giving birth to babies who are immune to measles because those babies have mom's immunity. Um, and you know, we know measles can be dangerous to a pregnant woman. And we, we know measles can be dangerous to young babies. Mm-hmm. So back when all children were catching measles, um, the most vulnerable parts of the herd, the pregnant moms and the young babies, were actually immune. They had herd immunity. Um, because everyone was catching natural measles and developed that lifetime immunity. And the elderly would have also have yeah. had it so that yeah. they had immunity yeah. as well. Yeah, so the elderly were, were immune. So basically, 
you we were allowing all kids to catch measles when it was naturally occurring in order to basically protect the herd, give everyone herd immunity uh, outside childhood, you right. know, adulthood and, and elderly, uh-huh. pregnant moms and babies. Okay, so that's basically the natural herd immunity process and and how things used to always work. Um, then you shift to vaccine artificially induced uh, attempts at herd immunity. So basically you, you start vaccinating all kids when they're one because the vaccine doesn't work well if you try to give it to a younger kid, uh, to a younger baby. You vaccinate everybody when they're one and when they're five so that now no children catch measles. Uh, and and we don't, no one goes through that disease anymore in the United States. So yeah, so no kids catch measles. But then they grow up to be adults that have lost their immunity. Right. The MMR vaccine wears off. Unknowingly, though. Unknowingly, right. Because for some people, it might last 20 or 30 years. But for some people, it might only last 10 years. And they don't know. But even Um, if it only lasted 10, 5, whatever, the the point is most adults don't realize that they don't have lifetime immunity for this. You're right. You're right. So, So all these people grow up to become adults who don't have measles immunity. So all the pregnant moms... They, they start having babies. They don't have measles immunity while they're pregnant. So they're now susceptible and put at risk because they don't have natural immunity. At a time when it's really risky. Right, right. And then they it. give birth to babies. Babies have no measles immunity for their first year of life. And that's when measles is most dangerous for children. It's, it's for babies mm-hmm. when you're a young baby. Um, uh, so pregnant women and babies are very vulnerable and the elderly are vulnerable as well because they don't have any natural immunity. So essentially, uh, and then it starts over again, you then give the kids the vaccine so they don't catch measles as, as children. Essentially, we've kind of turned inside out or upside down who the vulnerable people are. Mm-hmm. In the natural immunity process, the, the children who catch measles all are, are vulnerable because they're going through the disease. And the fatality rates were about one in ten thousand of those children, um, uh, but the protected herd were the adults, elderly, and the pregnant moms and babies. You start vaccinating, and all the protected parts become the vulnerable. The pregnant women become vulnerable now because we're vaccinating. The babies become vulnerable now because we're vaccinating. The adults and elderly become vulnerable because we're vaccinating. Mm -hmm. So again, and you said this at the beginning, I want to make it very clear. We're not saying which of these models is better. I'm not saying that the natural immunity model is better or the vaccine immunity model is better. I'm saying I'm basically explaining what the two different models are. We're just observing facts right. about the two things look right. like, as if we moved backwards and could just look at it objectively, which is a lot of what doesn't happen in this debate. Right. A lot of this debate becomes so emotionally heated that instead of just saying, can we just step back for a second and just look at the information? This doesn't mean that you're a bad parent because you believe this. This doesn't mean this. Like instead of taking it there, let's just look at, okay, maybe the herd immunity concept you bought into doesn't actually look like the way you thought it was, or it's not what you were promised. It's not to say, again, which is better and whatever. It's just, let's just look at it and be able to discuss and use logic to kind of compare the two things. Because obviously, it's marketed as something that is completely um, faultless and is just, it's always going to work if you just get to these rates. But as we know, um, and I want to read something really quickly by um, J.B. Hanley, who, who, again, we're going to talk with later. But who wrote a nice little article kind of about this that, that echoes a lot of the things I've read and a lot of things that 
a lot of feelings I have specifically on this, but um, I'm going to quote this. He says, it was not until relatively recently that it was discovered that most of these vaccines lost their effectiveness two to 10 years after being given. What this means is at least half the population, that is the the baby boomers, have had no vaccine-induced immunity against any of the diseases which they've been vaccinated for early in life. In essence, around 50% or more of the population has been unprotected for decades. But if we listen to present-day wisdom, we're all at risk of resurgent massive epidemics should the vaccination rate fall below 95%. Yet, we have all lived for at least 30 to 40 years in this country for many decades uh, with no resurgent epidemics have occurred. Vaccine-induced herd immunity, this is what he says, is a lie used to frighten people into the public accepting vaccinations. So this is what he said. The idea of herd immunity is the only thing that they can use to say, you know what, 94% isn't good enough. We have to get it higher. So that 1% of kids that has medical exemptions, we need to go after them because we need to get this higher. So it really is what he's saying. It is true. They are using this to frighten people into passing laws that are forcing mandates. It's not good enough that you have over 90% of your children really fully vaccinated, 92%, 95%, 96% in some cases. Really, do you really need to go after that 1.2% that is medically exempt? Because at that point, you're getting over 98%. Now, is that good enough? Like, when is it good enough? And who's making that choice? It seems like without the concept of herd immunity, somebody might say, hey, I think we're doing pretty well. Don't have these huge epidemics. Everything's pretty under control. Um, sorry, I was leaning back kind of on that one. <laughs> Just relaxing here in the studio, guys, while I'm talking to you. Um, but, but I think that that's absolutely true. It, the her, concept of herd immunity is what drives vaccine legislation, period. Period. End of story. There is no other reason. It is to push the fact that we are. It needs to be higher. Needs to be higher. Needs to be higher. And you see even adult vaccination rates over time. If you looked over like the last twenty years, you see oh maybe you had you know twenty percent getting the flu shot, and now all of a sudden it's forty percent, and then it's fifty percent, and they're still pushing for more. They want more than that because they're going to keep keep um, focusing in on the, the people who aren't doing it. And if you don't have the huge epidemics, what's that for? You know, outside of what you can assume to be profit related um, on some level. But but I, I like what he said here, the, the idea that we've got an entire adult population without epidemics, but they have been free from vaccine-induced immunity, they thought that they had not really there, and yet nothing's happening. So we don't have these huge, huge uh, epidemics coming, killing, you know, thousands and thousands of people in this country. Um, But yet we've had vaccine rates much, much lower than 95%. We'll never get to 95% as a population. It's never going to happen as a population. Right. It can never happen because even if 100% of people vaccinate, there will be more than 5% who don't respond to a vaccine. We know that to be true. You're right, right. And you're right. And and I've read that in some research articles and and where they say – even if you vaccinated 100% of the yeah. population, we know, like, like for example, um, like the, the the measles vaccine, it's, it's about a three to five percent failure rate, and so and other vaccines much right, higher, right? Yeah, yeah. And so even if we had 100% vaccination, we're still only going to be at 95 to 97% uh, coverage. So, so we 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 will never have 100% herd immunity. With with any vaccination model, Mm-mm. because you would have to have a vaccine that works perfectly and works for your lifetime, and we just can't ever ever achieve that. And so it kind of brings up a, a point, I guess, that you made is 
why do they need to keep going after that mm-hmm. very small percentage of people who choose to not opt in for vaccination? I mean, if in the 80s it wasn't this high and there weren't epidemics. In the 90s it wasn't this high and nobody cared that it was at 60%. Right, right. And, and nothing's changed. We're not Nothing having changed. worsened measles outbreaks. We're not having worsened mumps outbreaks. We're not having worsened outbreaks of anything that vaccines can prevent an outbreak and of. And rates are getting higher. Rates right. are getting higher like already like and, and nothing was happening even back then. This is what's – it's already getting higher. Like uh, it's just – it's like a machine. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think you, you, you have to ask yourself, I think, if you are a – someone who is very much in favor of vaccines, I think you have to ask yourself um, – why are they pushing this so hard now? Why are they passing legislation to make vaccines mandatory if there's no health problem, if there's no epidemics, if there's no, no crisis, outbreaks, yeah. there's, there's no health crisis mm-hmm. to warrant mandatory vaccinations? And and we yet we see those who are pushing for vaccine mandates, we see them claiming it's all about the health crisis. Right. But uh, and unfortunately, there there's there's conflict of interest there. You see the the legislators that are pushing mandatory vaccinations. You, you see them; they 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 are some of the most heavily funded from pharma. If pharmaceutical companies provide a lot of funding to uh, to these legislators. I and, know the lobbying efforts. Right, the lobbying are efforts are, are, are ridiculous. Incredible. And so, yeah. to me, I, I almost to me, I, I would say, um, who is worrying about that one percent that don't vaccinate? Or let's say who is worrying about it. Say it's 5% that don't vaccinate, whatever the percent is. Who's worrying about those percent? I don't think it's the public. I don't no, think yeah. I don't think the public, you know, if they feel good about their, their vaccines, then they feel protected. They're, they're fine to be around unvaccinated people. Um, I think it is it is the media legislative oh, sure. pharma machine, not because disease outbreaks might happen, but sadly it might be because for every 1% of America that doesn't vaccinate, that's a certain number of, you know, hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars yep. that are lost to that company. I mean, and, it sounds and, and that, sad that, that, to say scary. that, but, right. I, but I think it's true. It has to be true because when you're looking at this information, you realize in the 80s and 90s, the same people pushing mandatory vaccines now, like let's say just parents, they have no clue that when they were growing up, the neighbors, the, the people around might have been at a 60% coverage rate and yeah. nobody was dropping down, you know, dying on their street like because of stuff like this. And so it just goes to show you, you don't need a rate that high to keep things at bay. Epidemics aren't happening here because we have good medical care. You know, sanitation's in- increased, like everybody talks about. We have conditions in this country that allow for people to, for most children to be healthy. And healthy children do not have complications and do not die from most of these childhood illnesses. Like on average, a healthy child, and this is why the thing that really bugs me is why isn't the CDC coming to us and saying, Here's the monthly newsletter on how to keep your immune system strong. Here's the monthly newsletter (laughs) on how to make your children healthy. Maybe we should be reducing some antibiotic usage. Maybe we should be working on our nutrition and our food. Here are some supplements we found that can actually make a difference if you are exposed to this particular childhood disease. And, and, And there's a little measles outbreak in your county. Everyone go out and get a nice dose of vitamin A. But why? Yeah, to why prevent, is it, to prevent the complications before even the epidemic? Why isn't the, the Center for Disease Control right. should be focused on hap- how to keep people disease free, not necessarily through an injection, because that doesn't make you healthier, like we've said before. 
how come the CDC is not looking out for our children and looking for out for us as adults and our, and our parents who are elderly, let's say, how come they're not looking out for them as it relates to keeping people healthier right, well, and well, focusing on health? Right, right. Well, you have to realize the CDC is, is – they're the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, in fact, they, they really should be called the Center for Infectious Disease Control mm-hmm. and Prevention because that's where we see them spending almost all of their efforts. It's all about reducing the numbers of, infe- of infectious diseases in our country. They're not the center for how to keep your kids and your families the absolute healthiest you can. To prevent diseases right. and infectious diseases. Right, right. I mean, they're, like- they're, yeah, they're, they're about disease control, um, reducing numbers of infectious diseases. They're not about overall your overall health and your, your their overall global health picture but so that's how you prevent disease right right <laughs> well i know i know so i guess my point is let's say let's say if if, if vaccines were going to give you disease protection but they were also going to make you unhealthy in certain ways, either through side effects or, or, or allergies or chronic health problems like like autoimmune diseases. Uh, the Center for Disease Control would still be pushing vaccines because they want to they want to lower the number of infectious diseases. You're saying they e- even at the, the cost. Numbers. Well, even at the cost of of some health problems. So that's why I say they're not you're about. Saying, but you're saying they just want to lower the the number of incidences of a particular vaccine preventable disease. Correct. Like they just want if it was 200 right. this year, we want to make it 150 next year. Right, right. E- even if it's going to create uh-huh. other health problems, even even more health problems, and maybe un- more unhealthy children just across the board. Maybe right. if it's making children more unhealthy overall, right. which makes them more susceptible to other diseases that maybe aren't on the childhood schedule right now. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think. I think. I wish we had. Like like a health organization that was basically the center for how to keep everyone health and wellness, health and wellness, healthy as they can be. Right. Yeah, the we need we need a, a health and wellness government institution. CHW Center for Health and Wellness that should yeah. be there. It should be yeah. with the prime goal of keeping children healthy, keeping adults healthy, and that may include in some cases advising some particular vaccines, but yes. more than that, <laughs> it shouldn't be a band-aid. See, I always look at a vaccine. To me, it feels like a band-aid. Okay. You, you, feel you're, you feel like you're going to go get a vaccine and somehow your, your kid is healthy and totally protected. But what everybody knows that has been studying this for a long time is there are so many, countless viruses and bacteria that we are not vaccinating for. And so those are things that your child is susceptible to. So if you get, you know, these particular vaccines over in this side over here, it does not keep you from getting all these things over on this side. It doesn't somehow give you magical powers to become stronger so you can fight off other things. You know what gives you magical powers? Having a strong immune system. That's what makes you more likely to succeed against any type of infection that could come your way, one you vaccinate for right now in the childhood schedule or one you don't. And of course, as we know, viruses mutate, things change. There's always going to be something new coming our way. So when you think of the future, you think, what could you do as a parent to really protect your child in the best way possible? The best thing you can do is to give them a strong immune system and to keep their body with a foundation that allows them to be healthy and successful against anything, any kind of pathogen that could come their way, right? That's the bottom line. Why don't we have a government organization that is helping us to do that. If you really want to make sure people aren't dying from these things, don't you, shouldn't you, instead of look at the Band-Aid, which is, let me give this injection to keep you from getting this thing, uh, let's look at how we, from the inside out, can make kids healthier. And I think that's why people who believe in holistic living 
are so concerned that there has not been a study about long-term health outcomes because they do on believe vaccines. on vaccines. Right. They do believe what they've seen in our own communities of healthier children who are not um, accosted by, you know, these types of chronic ailments that, that, that some children who are fully vaccinated are getting, are getting accosted with. And I think that begs the question, is there potentially, a, you know, the problem with aluminum and other adjuvants that, is, that leads to chronic long-term negative health outcomes that would make your child actually weaker, actually more susceptible to the next virus that they don't have a vaccine right. for? Right. I mean, I think a lot of people who vaccinate their children fully are doing so to keep them safe. I mean, obviously, they really think this is going to keep them safe. But I don't think a lot of those people necessarily are thinking of the long term and they're thinking broadly enough to understand there are lots of other things that could put your child at risk. And you don't want to weaken your system in order to prevent you from just getting measles. You want to strengthen your system. And and we'll cover in another episode, there's some some theories here that say actually this exposure to these these illnesses, these acute febrile illnesses in childhood actually prevents you from getting long-term illnesses, things like cancer when you're an adult, that you actually need that. So here we yes. are not exposing ourselves to it to be healthier, but really all we're doing is just avoiding that one acute illness. And what is the consequence of that? We're creating chronic illnesses um, that you know your child's going to have forever that are autoimmune, um, but we're also making your child more susceptible potentially to all the other things that we don't vaccinate for and shouldn't, shouldn't the focus be uh, on health and wellness inside out create strong kids, what can we do to keep them so that if they are exposed to measles, it's going to be something that goes through them like a healthy child would. It's not a death sentence. It doesn't have to be a death sentence. Like, I feel like we're just looking at this from the wrong point of view across the board, right? Like the entire approach is wrong here. It's not, let's keep measles from happening. And we have a vaccine that can keep that from happening. It should be, let's keep our kids strong so that if anything comes their way, they're not going to be dying from it because that's what we want to prevent. Right. Children dying. That's what we want to prevent. Right. But what's the best way to do that? Is it by just putting the bandaid on or is it by creating a system of health and wellness? Right. right. And, and that's kind of when a, when a, uh, society decides to opt in for the the artificial vaccine herd immunity model. Um, that's essentially what we've done. Um, we, you know, our government and our medical organizations have basically uh, forced us all to kind of uh, ask us all to opt in for that model. Um, and you, you made a point. You you, you brushed. Uh, you you talked about a point briefly. I want to bring it up again because I think it's very worthwhile to talk about. Is is we know from research um, catching uh, chickenpox and measles as a child, as a healthy child, mm -hmm. when those diseases naturally happen, that does lower your risk of cancer later mm -hmm. in life. It does lower your risk of allergic disorders. Um, it does order lower your risk of some autoimmune disorders. And so, uh, and again, I'm not saying go out and 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 let your kid catch measles or chickenpox. That that's a, that's a you know a choice that you know. That usually happens out of your control, but uh, but I guess my point is, the government basically asked uh, asked everyone, or is almost kind of forcing everyone to uh, to not allow those ki their kids to catch those diseases and lose out on on the lifelong health benefits of having caught those diseases. Well, right, because they don't realize that there are benefits right. that are... But, but research has made it very clear that there, there are benefits. But it's not right? talked about like right. the way it should be, because the thing right. is, is 
our immune systems are so complex. They are so complicated that there is rhyme and reason to all of it. And like most things, getting involved and, you know, intervening sometimes has unintended consequences. Like you think you can control this complicated system when I don't think scientists even know how it works. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I guess I want to talk maybe a little bit uh, to 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 build on that is, let's say we we've opted for the 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 artificial model, the artificial vaccine induced immunity model. What if there are long term health consequences of that, and, and and we don't know because we haven't studied it, right? You know, there, we haven't done a, a right. good a, a huge study of people who have opted in for the, the, the natural herd immunity model versus the, the artificial herd immunity model. We, they haven't done the long-term study, so we don't know. So I'm just going to ask the question, what if people who raise their kids in the natural herd immunity model live longer, healthier uh, lives, more free of allergic disease, mm-hmm. free, more free of cancer, Chronic more free illness, of autoimmune yeah. diseases? Yes, they might catch chicken pox. Yes, they might catch whooping cough. Yes, they might go through mumps. They might go through measles. But what if they're going to have like, you know, healthier, uh, more, you know, lives free of chronic Mm -hmm. disease as adulthood? What if that's true? And then what if the the opposite is true of of those who get vaccines um, have less healthy immune systems when they're older and they're dealing with all those chronic, you know, adult diseases that you always hear about? Um, My point being is I think that the decision on which model to opt in for isn't isn't just about – is your child going to catch chickenpox or not? Or are you going to protect them from measles? Or you want to you know, participate in, in, in uh, you know, herd immunity for diseases as children? This isn't just a decision for your child as a child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a decision that has uh, an impact yeah. on your complete life. And so, again, without saying what the right answer is, I think these are things that our government doesn't look at anymore. And, and the CDC doesn't look well, at because, portrayed. again, they're, they're all about disease number control, infectious mm-hmm. disease number control. That's what they're all about without looking at the, the whole picture. And, and I don't know what the right answer is because we don't have the research. Right, but the way it's, it's portrayed right. is that if you take the natural immunity, herd immunity model, all your children are going to die. And you won't live yes. to see the next generation to be able to tell about what you think right. their health was because they're all going to die. Right. That's the fear they The spread. fear is as soon right. as you don't do this, you are all going to get wiped out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've heard exact words. And then the, on the other side of it is if you get all your vaccines, you're going to live a long, healthy life because you passed all the, the diseases that were going to take you down. I mean, people are forgetting that 99% of people who got these diseases before the vaccines, according to what we did in our right. other research that shows... Um, we're not dying from these diseases, even before vaccines. People don't quite understand that it is not a death sentence to catch one of these diseases. And that's important because if you want to look at the natural herd immunity model, then you want to say, is there a way that I can get through these childhood illnesses in a healthy way and still be able to benefit from that in my adulthood by not having the chronic illness? Okay. But most people that really are really on the extreme side of pro-mandates, um, will say that's not even an option. If as soon as you uh, resist the vaccines over here, you're, you're a dead man walking, essentially. So that's how they see it. So it's not even like a comparison that you hear talked about because the way the media portrays it is that you will die if you don't do this. And I think that's why a lot of parents feel pressured 
into um, into going into opting into the the artificially induced herd immunity model because they feel like there is no other option. If I don't, my child is not going to be safe and protected, which is of course what every parent wants. Correct. Right. Um, um, yeah, if, if I could just touch briefly on, on a few other diseases that, that play into this conversation, kind of like I walked you through measles. Let me just spend the, hopefully no more than 30 seconds on each of these. Um, let me walk you through rubella. Uh, the natural model with rubella was that every child caught rubella when it's a completely harmless disease, a fever and a rash, and then you grew up immune, and then pregnant moms were immune to rubella, and they gave birth to babies who were immune to rubella, and then the cycle continues. Everyone is is immune when they need it the most, but every, all, you know, as as pregnant moms and young babies. Um, but because what does rubella do? It's harmless to everybody, but if you catch rubella as as an adult, it can cause some really severe arthritis right. problems I've or heard. heart problems. If you catch rubella as a pregnant mom, it, it can cause birth defects. Very serious if you catch rubella when you're pregnant. So in the, her, in the natural herd immunity model with rubella, everyone for whom rubella would be bad for was protected. The adults, the elderly, the pregnant moms, and the, and the yet-to-be-born babies. Because everyone had natural immunity. Everyone caught the disease when it was harmless as children. Now that we're vaccinating, kids aren't catching rubella anymore. And yeah. some moms are growing up with rubella immunity and when they get pregnant. But some moms are not keeping their vaccine-induced rubella immunity. So now they're having babies when they have no rubella immunity mm-hmm. and they're putting themselves at, at risk. risk for birth defects. Right. So I think that it's important just to, to think about that model and how it applies to, to each one of the, the, the diseases that we can apply it to. Well, same Measles, with chickenpox too, right? Yeah, so chickenpox is the exact same thing. Harmless disease for children. Um, you catch the disease as a child, you're immune for life, so you won't catch it when you're older. Your pregnant mom who has natural chickenpox immunity, you won't catch it while pregnant. Your young baby has immunity, is born with immunity. It's, it's totally identical to measles. Um, we, we take away natural immunity by giving everyone a chickenpox vaccine. So all these pregnant moms now have no immunity. They could catch chickenpox while they're pregnant. If you catch chickenpox in the week before you give birth to a baby – that baby will be born in a very severe case of chickenpox. It'll be very severe in a baby. That's almost the worst case scenario for a mom who's just about to deliver to, to, to have no chickenpox immunity and be exposed to chickenpox. Um, so so by, by vaccinating, we're almost creating these vulnerable populations because mm-hmm. no one has natural immunity Well, and anymore. teenagers are getting these cases of chickenpox and now shingles. Right, right, um, right. As teenagers and adults. Right. Or adults are, are catching chickenpox for the first time because they right. never That's caught it I mean. when they're a kid. Yeah, and yeah. It's, and it's so much riskier right, right. for and, adults. And, and even if you look at mumps, mumps is a harmless disease when you catch it as a child. But that vaccine wears off. So now we have all these susceptible adults have no immunity. And we're seeing lots of mumps, mumps outbreaks in adults um, because no one, ha- no one develops the natural lifelong immunity anymore. With risk of complication, right, too. Which, Serious yeah, risk so you have of a lot of complications for mumps if you catch it as mm-hmm. an adult. So the vaccine, the artificial vaccine pro- uh, herd immunity program is basically, basically creating certain situations for each one of these diseases that, that might not have been anticipated adequately 
when they first approve these vaccines, because again, the number one reason when they approve a vaccine is to lower the infectious disease numbers in children. Which you can say, oh, we've eliminated yeah, chickenpox yeah, in we've children achieved this. because everybody, ta- everybody yeah, gets it. Yeah, but we create these these kind of almost the opposite right. pockets of, 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 of susceptibility. So I, I I find it fascinating, and hopefully. You guys too. I mean, Melissa's looking at me wide-eyed. You guys, you know, like as I'm explaining <laughs> I mean, this, she's like, "I think we wow. could probably hit other al- elements yeah. of herd immunity even at, an- at another time." One yeah. of the things I wanted to, uh, two things I wanted to mention was, um, we've talked to um, Tatiana before, mm-hmm. uh, an immunologist who's you know studied specifically this exact thing, who talks about the difference between artificial and natural immunity, and the difference, uh, yeah, artificial and natural immunity, the difference between antibody production and all of that. And she says, um, you know, the vast, this is what she said, the vast majority of our communities are undergoing immunologic manipulation by the vaccine schedule. We're priming a population for large epidemics of likely more treatment resistant strains. It's not the vaccine exempt children who endanger us all. It's the effects of prolonged mass vaccination campaigns that have done so. So the fact that you've got these huge campaigns against things like chickenpox or measles, whatever, has basically created, like you're saying, these vulnerable pockets in these communities that are setting ourselves up for potential risks and epidemics. The same things that the ones pushing vaccine legislation are saying, we've got to get mandates to prevent this from happening. But actually, it's the forced vaccination across the board that are sort of having these unintended consequences. And this is from an immunological uh, standpoint, um, not just medical choice or medical freedom. Like people have to understand that while I absolutely believe in medical freedom and medical choice, I know you do too. This is not about choice. We're just talking about the actual facts as it relates to how immunity works and how it works in large groups and the concepts of herd immunity and how uh, natural immunity is different than artificial immunity. We're not talking about my opinion of, oh, I think people should get a choice. I do think people should get a choice when it comes to something with side effects, but that's not what this is about. This is about the reality that the thing that you're pushing to pass this legislation is actually, it really is not accurate. Vaccine-induced artificial immunity is not the same thing as natural immunity that that generations were getting before and is not protecting the immunocompromised the way that it is advertised to do so. And that's important for people to understand because it's not like if you get everybody to agree with you anyway, it's going to even do the thing that you think it's going to do. And so why would you risk children getting injured if it's not even going to give you that guarantee of protection in the end. Right, right. And I think, um, I think you know, to make this discussion, you know, complete and, you know, fair to both sides, I think we have to, we have to discuss the fact that when, when you, when a population is in the natural herd immunity model, where we allow these diseases to go through our population, there are the very rare but occasional sure. fatalities, which are very tragic. Um and yet on the other the other side of it, when we opt in for the artificial vaccine-induced herd immunity model, there are vaccine side effects, even fatal vaccine consequences that some have to pay the price for. That are not as rare as they are said to be also. Right, Somebody right. might go, well, that's true, but it's so, so, so rare. Right. And then when we look at the VAERS data, I think we're going to we're gonna do a VAERS uh, uh, episode coming up soon, but... When we look at the tens of thousands of, of even hundreds of thousands of severe, excuse me, severe vaccine reactions that are reported, and also the many thousands of fatal vaccine reactions we have, there is a cost to opting mm-hmm. into this artificial uh, uh, vaccine-induced herd immunity model. There is a cost to it. Vaccine reactions, vaccine side effects, 
loss of long-term immunity in, in the herd, adult, yeah, we've and no adults. Yeah, we've just shifted so, the cost. So there's, there's a cost, whichever choice we're making. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as a society, you know, we need to really examine these, these facts, as, as you're saying, these are facts. And you as a parent, you know, need to kind of make a decision on what you think, what you feel more comfortable for with your kids. Well, one and, quote I want to include that JB also mentioned about a CDC study, um, a CDC scientist, research scientist said vaccination does not account for the impressive declines in mortality seen in the first half of the century. 90% of the decline in infectious disease mortality among U.S. children occurred before 1940 when few antibiotics or vaccines were available. Before 1940. So if people can understand that before vaccines were in place before this model was in place, mortality rates were already declining. I mean, 90% is humongous. So it's not like if we were to, this model were to change, all of a sudden we've had, we would have, you know, half of our population dying. It wouldn't work like that. And I think that that's kind of the misunderstanding of sort of how the immune system works and how vaccines work and how epidemics work. And again, the push for more and more vaccines is all based on the fear of epidemics. People strongly believe if we do not vaccinate everybody, if I don't vaccinate my kids, they're all going to get something and die. If I don't, if we don't vaccinate to 95%, the whole entire community is going to get some huge epidemic and people are going to die. If we don't vaccinate, the immunocompromised are going to die. Like it all comes down to this idea that everybody's going to die if you don't get this vaccine. And it's a fear-based approach, which actually doesn't match with the numbers. When you look at actual data, that's not true. That's not true that without a vaccine, we're going to look at huge mortality numbers. Like you're saying- There's a cost to everything, and before we had the vaccine model, yes, there were some people that were dying small and small and small amounts. Again, 99. almost 9%, I think, for all the major diseases that we looked at. There's an infographic that we have on immunityeducationgroup.org. Um, under infographics, you can check right. it. Yeah, over 99.99% of, of Americans of the... were not being harmed mm-hmm. by, by these infectious diseases before, before the vaccinations. Before vaccines, to know that mortality was not the issue that people think it is that pushes the vaccine mandates and the legislation. And Dr. Bob's looking at our time right now. Of course, of course, while I have something to say. Oh, no. As you continue, uh, so, Melissa, no, no. I, I was, you know I was what? listening. No, no, that's it. No, I'm fine. It's done. It's done. I don't know what to say. I don't know to say. I'm fine. Now you're going to get the silent treatment for the whole next oh, podcast. <laughs> you want to hear me the whole next podcast? It's going to be me like brooding over here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, anyway, interesting. I'm sure we'll hit to uh, herd immunity again because this is not <laughs> one of those topics that you just brush over in one podcast because yeah. artificial immunity, natural immunity, I think I'd like to go into some studies, get some, you know, specific, draw some uh, specific information out of studies or research articles and break down just one article all about that. We can take, you know, make it specific. This was kind of an overview, but I'm sure a lot of the information here, many people already know, some don't know, and most people are agreeing with a lot of what we said here to kind of say, yeah, that's something I wish was talked about more yeah. more often. I know I do. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I was thinking, um, you know, we, we encourage people to go to our website, immunityeducationgroup.org, and our Facebook page. Um, people actually can also email uh, email us at our immunity education email address if, if you don't you know, my, I, I'm the one that checks it anyway. And I guess if you want to email comments, I mean, yeah, post them on Facebook, write a review. Um, but I guess if you want to email, um, I, you know, I do check the email every few weeks. If I think about it, it's, it's immunityed at gmail.com. 
immunity at but only at email positive things yeah yes. <laughs> just well, kidding yeah. i'm kidding yeah. but yeah. i'm not kidding yeah. <laughs> just only I, I just want praise and accolades yes. and well, well, no, I, I mean I, I don't mind constructive criticism we, we we accept it but yeah when something's clearly someone's just bashing don't be trolling don't be trolling i, mean, I, I read like the first three words and and then I just, you know, I just delete it. But yeah. uh, but if it's if it's total bashing, but yeah, constructive criticism. You, I mean, definitely disagree with us and and let us know why. But yeah, in a constructive, you know, science based way. And then we're, show you us your peer reviewed studies, <laughs> and I'll show you mine <laughs> yeah, that, that counter you know, what we're saying. No, but yeah, yeah, send us an email if you can figure out how to spell immunityed at gmail dot com. Then you can email me. And, uh, <laughs> well, we do have to talk about studies and and who they're funded by and why that matters that has to be a separate episode because you know this whole peer-reviewed send me your studies it's like show me a study that was not funded by somebody that's connected somehow to uh, any of these organizations and or vaccine manufacturers and then we'll talk about peer-reviewed data okay you guys so that was herd immunity and uh we will see you in a nutshell yeah in a a very large peanut-free nutshell (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we will see you uh, next time on the Vaccine Conversation. Bye. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.